Hello and welcome to a special episode of Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from fashion and craft to entrepreneurship. I'm Nick Manese. And I'm Natalie Theodosi. To mark Monocle on Design's partnership with the Copenhagen International Fashion Fair, also known as SIF, we have been talking to a host of fashion's top names from our pop-up radio studio at SIF here in Copenhagen. We hear from Neiman Marcus, Marameco and Envelope 1976. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. So we're wrapping up our series with SIF with a packed lineup. Nick, you started the week speaking to Bruce Pask, Senior Editorial Director at Neiman Marcus Group. I think his presence at the show is testament to the growing strength of Copenhagen as a fashion capital. What did he tell you about coming to Copenhagen? I guess we talked about the importance of the event to an international market. You know, he's obviously coming over from the US. You know, they have a huge presence in the United States as a destination for fashion and lifestyle. And he really talked about the opportunity that SIF offers in terms of identifying new talent. And then as a bonus, he kind of pointed out the significance of the city and its creative scene and how it really is a global benchmark for design and creativity and how that extends, I guess, beyond just fashion. So why don't we drive straight into that chat? Great. Let's hear from Bruce Pask, Senior Editorial Director at Neiman Marcus Group. I've been coming to SIF for quite a few years, and we just find it as a really important scouting area and ground for brands, for all aspects of our retail. You know, we have a premier luxury destination in America, and so for us, we want to have obviously global reach, and things that we find compelling here are going to be compelling to our customers. And I found this culture here in Copenhagen so rich, certainly in fashion, but in all aspects of design. And it's a personal love of mine, but also a really dynamic ground. There are a few threads I kind of want to pull out there. I mean, first is that link between fashion and culture and design and even urban design. What influence or what relationship is there between, I guess, the city of Copenhagen and the work that's on show here and also made in Denmark? I think... That's what's exciting about what's going on here in Scandinavia in general, but certainly in specific Denmark and Copenhagen. I mean, I think we have the onslaught of the cuisine that made huge, huge Rene Retzpi with Noma and that now the diaspora of all the people that worked in the, the kitchens of Noma and the restaurants they've opened. We have the history of design here, product and furniture, Finuel, others, certainly fashion and craft. I mean, Marameco down the road, we have, you know, those beautiful denim flowers. I think there's just such a richness here in the culture and we go way back into painters like Hammershory and representations of the culture here and how it's been utilized, but I think there's just a richness here. I mean, I think we know of this Danish aesthetic that is sort of popularized as aesthetic and minimal, but I think we've recognized that there's such a more rich history and rich future here and there's a bastion of creativity and I think a lot of excitement here in general. And then you're obviously walking around the fair, taking things in, having yeah. to look at influences, inspiration, things that you can take back to Neiman Marcus in your role. What are some of the things that you've observed or what that we're seeing here in Denmark might we start to see in the US in the coming months and years? Our whole purpose here is like what looks fresh, what looks exciting, what's tantalizing to us. And I know when I see something that seems refreshing, that our customers are going to react to that as well. We see amazing amounts of clean and natural and green beauty here, which I think is great for our customers. We see very wardrobe-driven collections for men's, another aspect around the way. You know, we see a lot of, I think, great brands that we look to incubate and bring to the U.S. where there may not be such a brand identity, but we know that 
when they see them in the, the halls of Neiman Marcus and online that they've been chosen by us and, and certainly worth their exploration. I guess what are those themes or behaviors that you're looking for in a brand at the moment? I think for me, it's something like what stands out, what's exciting, what looks different. I don't go with a necessary shopping list. I mean, it's more about like what is resonating. I mean, there are brands here. I'm not going to share my cards. Well, we're, because not gonna get, we're, <laughs> we're not going to get the hot tip. <laughs> no, because uh, we like to keep that close to the vest. And then we share that with our customers and our followers. But I think it's about finding those brands that are recognizing something that we don't see out there addressing even how people dress or how to want to be represented in ways that we think are exciting and new and fresh. And I'm going to ask, not trying to seem rude here, but I guess I need to ask the dumb questions in my role. I mean, for people that maybe think they're not interested in fashion or, you know, they they don't think that this really affects them, why should people care about events like SIF? Like, what's the relevance to this for people beyond the industry? Well, I think, you know, Copenhagen as a design capital has gained such relevance. And I think what has been really smart of... Cecilia Thorsmark, CEO of Copenhagen Fashion Week, and recognizing that as a culture in Denmark, the sensitivity to the environment has been very much a part of the culture. And I think to embrace that as part of the Fashion Week has been really, really important. And it's been part of why this Fashion Week and SIF has gained such prominence, because the circularity, the sustainability component, the sensitivity to the environment, to tie that into fashion and design, I think, has really given it a lot of importance and relevance. And I think that to the globe and all of its importance has really, really given it a real place. Yeah, I mean, sort of with the probably exception of a select few people, most of us do wear clothes every day. But there's also more to it than just clothing. There's retail as well. I mean, where does that fit into this picture of fashion and these trade fairs? Well, I think, you know, as retailers, we are the customers here at these trade shows and at the designer runway. So we are you know here analyzing the lines, seeing what's on offer, seeing where we are moving as far as a direction culturally as well as fashion. I mean, we're seeing now that things are taking on a little bit more of a sartorial foundation. Things are getting elevated, more dressed up. And I think, you know, also fashion is an absolute and direct reflection of culture. How are we feeling? What do we want to present ourselves like to the world? And I think that's what's also really important. And then part of that is having this environmental sensitivity that's becoming just a part of the brands on offer here. It's an assumption. It's not always customer facing or forward. It's just a given that there is going to be a sensitive environmental component to what's produced here. And then I guess as a retailer as well with Neiman Marcus, I mean, what do you want people to take away from the work that you're doing that's about more than just the clothes, about more than just what you're offering? Are you trying to set an agenda or shape culture? You mentioned that link between culture and fashion. Absolutely. I mean, my position as senior editorial director were about making sure that we know that our customers know we're in the cultural conversation, that we are also informing our customers what's going on in the world, exciting them by what we see, bringing what we see globally to our stores and online. I think that's a part of what we do. And again, fashion and the intersection of culture and Neiman Marcus, uh, that's, I think, really, really integral to our mission here. I mean, I think what also just jumped out at me then is it's like the role that a specific industry can, and a specific company can play in shaping somebody's worldview or connection with the, the wide world. I mean, speaking from personal experience, my girlfriend works in fashion and a lot of what she, I guess, learns about the world her news source are the brands that she interacts with and engages with on a daily basis so i think that's really really beautiful do you feel a responsibility at neiman marcus for that ability to shape i guess a a cultural broader narrative oh i think absolutely i mean it's really integral to our corporate mission i mean esg has become really primary for us also the community of our nmg family is really important i think 
having this awareness of the world at large is really an important part of our mission. And I, yes, we're in the luxury fashion business and accessories, but I think it's also having the sensitivity to the globe and the environment and to the people involved. I think all of that is important and integral. People ask, you know, why do you go to the Copenhagen Fashion Week? Why do you go to SIF? And it's something where I think this city is really, really, there's a lot to offer. I think it's culturally incredibly important given the design history. I think the fashion and the aesthetic here, I think there is a perception of minimalism that I think there is so much more to offer than that. I think there's real inventiveness, really unique design. Uh, we talked about the food culture and knowing the diaspora. And I also think it's a really wonderful dynamic city. I think how people live here really informs how we view the world. Like the biking culture here is really fascinating. I think in the summertime, it's incredibly beautiful and people really enjoy the outdoors. There's a, a level of community and mutual respect here that I think is is really admirable. So, I mean, you can tell I'm a fan and I think the city and all of its aspects has so much to offer to the world. And I think certainly the focus here on circularity and sensitivity to the world is primary. That was Bruce Pask, Senior Editorial Director at Neiman Marcus Group. Now, to continue the conversation here at CIF, we invited Celine Argard, founder, CEO, and creative director of Envelope 1976, to our pop-up radio booth. Natalie, you spoke to her, and I guess I want to know why we picked her. What makes her brand so interesting? What was really interesting about Celine's story is that she started as a journalist. She's been working in media for years and years. And the last five years, just before the pandemic, she took the leap to change her career and to found a brand, become a designer. And it, it's great to see a brand that it's, it's really a one woman show. She was here, like right across our booth, uh, selling her collection, meeting all the buyers. She's also doing all the designing in uh, Oslo, which is where she's from. She's often at her shop meeting the customers. So she really has a very interesting entrepreneurial story about starting from scratch, really being on top of everything, hands-on approach, and also creating product that's versatile, sustainable, and really beautifully made. Sounds amazing. Let's hear from Celine Argard now. It's actually been uh, busy, which is very good, and we're super happy to be here at uh, SIF. The brand have existed five years, and we have been here for the three last uh, seasons. It's always exciting. I mean, there's like a lot of nice brands out there. So you always like, you know, wonder how the days will actually be and you never know. So that's why, I mean, I think it's super important to stick to your identity and how you want to create your own stand. And, you know, we're still a very small brand. And for us, it's important to also get those drop-ins. And just to go back, like you said, yes. the brand is new. Tell us a little bit about how you started it, the concept behind it, and what makes it unique. Envelope 1976 was founded five years ago. Uh, the 1976 actually comes from when I was born. Um, when we created the brand, I was actually working as an editor in a fashion magazine. So I have been working as a journalist for more than 20 years. Uh, I also worked as a stylist and I was very connected to the fashion industry. At that time, I did see that it was not any focus on sustainability at all. So actually the main reason why we started was that we saw that there was a hole in the market for 
this kind of brand. Of course, now everyone, and I'm super glad now that it's so much more important to have the focus on sustainability. But for us, it was not only about materials. So we wanted to create a brand with a clear DNA and a focus also how to wear the garments in different ways. So we created dresses that could be worn in different ways. You could turn the clothes the other way around. So it's like versatile items to be worn again and again because you can obviously make nice things in nice materials but if people are getting bored of it tomorrow it's not sustainable so that was the idea and obviously we have a very focus on the materials and now we have grown so in the beginning it was like a few dresses a few things that we are wearing a lot i guess that's also how many other brands starting uh, it was the oversized blazer pants and we also included the genderless vibe from the very beginning so when we had our first runway show one year ago we were showing the brand and showed how you could style it so it's versatile clothes for everyone what have become some of your signatures so far or the items that a lot of the buyers here at Sea have been leaning towards in the beginning it was this typical uh, dress that I was talking about the con dress with buttons in the front that you can wear so many ways and also it became a wedding dress so it was so cool because for me it's super important that you actually can wear clothes for so many different occasions so that has been like a very important signature piece for us when we have increased our um, brand we are now also we do a lot of outerwear so we have a jacket called Iceland which is a signature piece that is we use shirling of course for us it's important we do leather and we do shirling as long as it's certificated and it comes from utility um, animals. And those jackets, I know people wear again and again. So hopefully people have seen that. And I mean, I think it's important. There's like many brands out there. So I think, of course, we're going to do our business, but we don't need a lot of clothes. So for us, we have this seasonless, versatile items but with an edge. Because I think, of course, it's important that it has this little edge on what we do, so it has that signature that, okay, that's an envelope thing, because we don't use a lot of logos and things like that. So, you know, find that code that people can see that it's our brand. Is that kind of timeless, logo-free aesthetic part of also your... Norwegian identity. You're based in Oslo, the yes. brand is Norwegian. Does that play a role when For you sure. define your aesthetic? For sure. And I'm super inspired about uh, our seasons and how I have grown up, what I have been wearing, my grandparents and how they have been living. I have always, you know, like been wearing my my grandmother's clothes, my grandfather's clothes. Vintage has been like a huge part of me and and we freeze a lot in Norway so of course like where we come from is super inspiring and also with the color palette and so we have even tried to do all our campaigns in Norway to show the beautiful nature so um, yeah that has been always an inspiration. I know it's wrong if I can't wear the things we are having because I can't sell things that I don't like myself so since I'm both the founder and creative director, but I also here are selling our products. 
it's important that it's genuine. I'm also quite curious about the transition from journalism and media to being a creative director and a founder of a brand because you're still within the fashion world, within the creative world, but it's a very different form of expression. How has that transition been for you? I would say it has been like a natural way. It's a bit hard to explain, but I mean, I was working as a journalist for so long time. I met like a lot of people. I also worked as a music journalist, met like a lot of artists. I was watching what are they wearing, what they're doing. I also did styling and it all goes together. I mean, what kind of music people listen to, what they wear, their identity, how you mix, match, how you also create. And then since I do both, it just came natural. Then I was like, you know, I came up with some ideas. So before I started the brand, I was designing some silk scarves from another Norwegian brand. And then like one thing led to another and I, my co-founder, I met her when we were discussing actually how much clothes that were made that were actually just like 99% polyester at that time. Then we just got creative together. And then I have been using, of course, my contacts during the years. Even the first spread I did, like the first fashion spread I did for the magazine I used to work for, I did that with a model. She was doing our campaign for the brand last year and was walking the show. So when you have been in the business for a long time, then you have those contacts. And I I also think you learn and you get more trust also when you have been in the business for a longer time. Because it's not like you're not only selling like a t-shirt and here you go and this is the price and run away. So for me, that's like core of the brand. And I also want to make relationship. I mean, you're doing business, but for me, I mean, we have a concept store in Oslo and I'm also there. I mean, for me, it's super important to also meet our customers and ask them what they like, what they don't like to get like feedback. And looking ahead into the new year, you're here at SIF now presenting the new collection. What else is uh, in the horizon? What are your plans? It's always weird when, you know, you present a new collection because even you want to work as uh, seasonless as you want. Of course, we're launching also a spring-summer collection, which will be launched in a few weeks. I mean, it will be, have been interesting. We're in Copenhagen and they are showing twice a year. We only have a runway show one time a year and that happens in Oslo. Maybe we will show in Copenhagen or New York, I don't know, next time. I mean... We're working on different plans to see how we could reach more out. And of course, like the international market is super important for us. I have been working really organically with, you know, who is spotted with our clothes. I haven't done any paid uh, collaborations and things. So we have been lucky that everything has been organically with people that actually love our clothes. Yeah, so the summer to come is right around the corner, even if it has been snowstorm and like, you know, horrible. I mean, it's super nice today in Copenhagen, but it's been so cold, like below 30 degrees back home. And then we're launching a campaign, yeah, in a few weeks. So there's like a lot of things happening. And we, in the beginning, we just have dresses and suits. And as I said, like for me, it's also important to have focus on all the core and basic because if you're layering with another kind of material that which is not natural, so we are developing and we have also got some new really nice suppliers and 
we have had some really nice, exciting meetings, and I'm very excited. Very exciting. Yeah, to I'm come. super excited, but it's also important to mention that we actually launched just one or two years before the corona. It's been COVID, financial crisis, war. There's like so much terrible things happen out in the world, and you have to really stay focused. And for me, uh, the most important thing for the brand is not to grow too fast. That was Celine Argard of Envelope 1976. Next up, Nick, we're going to hear from your discussion with one of my favorite designers, Rebecca Bay, creative director at Marimeco. I want to know what stood out to you from your conversation. Firstly, Marimekko's amazing fabrics, which I am also a huge fan of. The colour and the energy that they can bring to a garment is simply sensational. But what I was most curious about was how she is evolving the brand and continue to push you know, it forward. It's well-established. It's a household name. So I guess I was curious how she started to evolve or has evolved that since she started in her role in 2020. Let's hear from Rebecca Bay now. I think I use all the usual inspirations. I really look towards art, architecture, furniture. I have always done that. So that is, it's not necessarily for Marimeko only, but of course with Marimeko, I think we have great Finnish design heritage. So of course, some of the Finnish design and this relation between nature and architecture plays a great role in, in the inspiration for Marimeko. I think also more and more sort of listening in on podcasts, literature, film continues to be I think sort of bringing up themes that are interesting to explore but then also being you know a brand with more than 70 years of legacy we have an amazing print archive we have more I say we have more than 3,500 prints but we must have more than 4,000 prints by now so we have this amazing print archive that of course informs most of our thinking so either it's the idea the concept first and then you start searching for prints that can visualize or exemplify that or it's the other way around at other times you see a print and you go like you know what's going to happen if we make this really big or if we place it differently or if we take all the color out or add all the color in so i think inspiration for me is very much a dialogue i want to ask you know you mentioned that 70 years of history how do you i guess build on that but also throw it forward i think sometimes for a heritage brand it can be very easy to sort of get stuck in your past and keep revisiting the hits how do you continue to evolve marimekko and the work that you're doing I think that's a really good point. That's a real danger, yeah, in sort of owning legacy or owning heritage, that you easily end up becoming the custodian of the legacy. And, of course, that's not the intent with Marimeko. It's definitely not my intent with Marimeko. I think it is very important that we are both, of course, always honoring and celebrating our past, but very much focusing on how to be present and also how to build legacy for the future. So I think one thing is the archive. You know, we have this amazing archive, but I think the first sort of ambition I had for Marimeko was to build the future archive. Like, what does it mean to really sort of put effort and seriousness into building something for the future. I mean, what is that future looking like for you? Well, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Maybe that ties in with why you're at SIF. So many, many things. I mean, one thing is that we as a company, we are scaling and we're really growing outside of our home country, Finland. But I believe we are the world's first lifestyle, real lifestyle company. We have ready to wear bags, necessaries and home as part of our offering. And we have had that ever since the early days of Marimeko. 
But I think the future is also a little bit understanding where is the customer now? How do we live our lives? So let's say at the beginning of Marimeko, we were focused on the Finnish market. We were focused on bringing joy to the Finnish people. But are people who live with vast gardens and nature and, and forest, and now we suddenly have audiences also in Tokyo or in Shanghai in smaller apartments or very different spaces. The other part of that being, of course, the ready-to-wear focus on the brand, which is something we have focused on over the last decade. But I think with me arriving at Marimiko, sort of really started to sharpen what does that mean and how can you be both artistic and commercial at the same time. And also that these are not in conflict with each other. So we really tightened up the collections, the category focus, the commitment to more sustainable materials, but especially the commitment to constantly working with new artists, to constantly bring in new print designers, new artists into collaborations, and also really working with the artistic part of the brand, but also working with brands that sit outside of our offering. So collaborations has really become a positioning tool for Marimiko. You're talking about striking that balance between, I guess, commercial interests and creative interests or artistic interests. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how you start to, or how you at Marimeco walk that line? How do you find that balance? I think we were inherently an artistic company. I mean, I don't know if you know, Marimeco means Mary's dress. And Marimeko came about because our founder, Armi Aratia's husband, bought this old cloth printing mill. And she wanted to figure out what to do with the printing mill. So she asked her friends that were all these artists and creatives to create pattern for textile, to be printed on textile. People didn't know how to use the textile, so she staged a fashion show. And everyone wanted to buy the dresses from the show, which is the beginning of Marimeko Mary's dress. So we have this really artistic, you know, this is what we're coming from and we still very much celebrate the artistic communities, this idea that we're working with a lot of different people. This is not necessarily the most commercial way of working and and I think what we needed to learn and what we have now learned is that we can both honor our artistic values from the brand, we can constantly invite new artists to work with us but we needed to create like a better canvas for the art and that canvas is now that we have really strengthened the collections in really understanding what is the hierarchy in a collection what is the most artistic to the most commercial how do we have better entry product how do you create an entryway into a brand like Marimeko for someone who is not confident to wear pattern top to toe or someone who's not wearing big floral dresses for daytime so how do we create entry points how do we create the most premium offering but also how do we deliver consistency in fits in silhouettes in qualities which is something that is helping building i think the loyalty and the commerciality of the brand Maybe a nice way into this or to continue this thread is to, I guess, talk about the importance of shows to your brand. You know, you mentioned that first show held, you know, 70 odd years ago really helped people to understand what Marimekko stood for, how, how these fabrics and textiles could fit into their lives. What are you showing this year? How has that evolved? What does the Marimekko show look like in 2024? Yeah, that's a really good question. Also, it's actually something we only sort of brought back in last year. First of all, the Marimeko show is a public show. So we invite the industry, but we also invite the public or our community because we strongly believe in the sort of more democratic values, also of fashion. 
Secondly, uh, Marimé Kujo is always a show celebrating diversity and inclusivity. We really believe that Marimeko is for everyone or every woman or every man and that you should be able to take ownership over the brand. But of course, Marimeko today is also Marimeko that is wanting to show the brand in the context of now. What is relevant now? You know, what are the silhouettes that we're celebrating now? How do we wear? I'm really concerned with this idea of how do we wear things and how do we add attitude to how we wear things? So what we will see now is tomorrow we have a show at the National Gallery here in Copenhagen. We have a cast of almost 30 street cast models. We have a show where we are playing with the theme not only of our Unico anniversary year, our most iconic famous print is turning 60 this year, but also a show where we're really playing with this idea of dressing things up and dressing them down. So how do you make something really dressed down and casual and how do you give it attitude but also how do you actually take the core of our business which are dresses and prints and colors and how do you make them relevant how do you give them this other attitude which is maybe less pretty or less precious or less dressed up so the whole premise is you know how do we create something that can both be dressed up and dressed down? Tell me the significance of the Copenhagen International Fashion Fair for you as a brand, Marameco. Why be present here? I know you've got a stall here, but yeah, why set up shop here as well as your show? Yeah, I think we constantly need to put ourselves in front of our customer, which is both, of course, the industry and our end consumer. Participating in Copenhagen Fashion Week is a great opportunity both to stage a show, you know, add music and styling to the product. And of course, being here at SIF is an amazing opportunity to put ourselves in front of an international buying community. It is important for us to show how we're evolving as a brand and how we're constantly sort of distilling what is working well and sort of getting rid of what's not working well. One thing that is really important for us this season is to show everyone that we're launching denim August this year. So for the first time in Marimeko's history, we're launching Marimeko Mari denim. So now it's not Mari's dress, it's Mari's jean or Mari's denim. Denim that has been developed sort of with the circular economy principles and denim that's really helping us dress down. Denim has this timeless attitude built in. That was Rebecca Bay, creative director at Marimeko. My thanks to Bruce Pask of Neiman Marcus, Celine Agard of Envelope 1976, and Marimeko's Rebecca Bay. To find out more about Copenhagen International Fashion Fair, head to sif.dk. And that's all for this special episode of Monocle on Design. For more design stories, stay tuned at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. My thanks to David Stevens and Tom Webb for their work on today's show. I'm Nick Manese. And I'm Natalie Theodosi. Goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>